Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Gennady Golovkin knows a thing or two about how to take the sting out of a hostile home crowd. That was my one of my many takeaways from his stoppage of Kel Brook in London on Saturday night. Owen here with Murph and Ken. Monday's Irish Times, second campus podcast. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. There were shots of, uh, so, you know, the build of the fight, the support bouts are finishing up. There are shots of the fighters in the dressing rooms beamed out, and it was on Sky. So it's all, all of Sky's coverage is being beamed onto the big screen. Beamed. Yep. Beamed on. It's 19. I'm speaking from summer, summer, summer 19. Like the, the start of the TV the, age. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, mastered the technology. Anyway, at, at Live in living color. Triple G, Murph, as he likes to be known, mm-hmm. is in his dressing room. The most chilled out man I've ever seen before a fight. Just, I'm sure this is all part of the, you know, part of the aura that he has around him. But he still manages to do it. He manages to look that chilled out, even if he's not feeling it. The crowd are baying for his blood. Boo. Cacophony of boos as they see the opponent of their guy, their man, Kel Brook. You know, so I'm thinking, this is going to be tasty when he eventually comes out and faces into this crowd. He is going to... Is he ready? Is Golovkin ready for the UK crowd? I don't know. Fast forward 15 minutes. He's about to walk out. A big GGG flashes up on screen. They've got a bit of rap music going on. Mm-hmm. Crowd are all booing, boo, 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 ready to bay for bay for that blood. And then, well, a masterstroke. His choice of ring music, Seven Nation Army. Ah, no group of boozed up sports fans in the world can resist singing along <laughs> and jumping up and down to Seven Nation Army. And that is exactly what happened on Saturday. I, I watch it back if you can. They got so into this tune that they just forgot to boo. <laughs> and he just walked out unimpeded by any sort of hostile atmosphere, which is supposed to wow. rain down on top of him. Yeah, That's the, pretty smart. The only tune more popular that night was Sweet Caroline. You oh, know, Sweet yeah. Caroline's a big one for the boxing fans. And when I tweeted about this, just wondering why the, what the, what's yeah. going on? I don't know. It just always surfaces in boxing fights here and in the UK. A lot of people were tweeting saying, oh yeah, that's uh, Belfast's gift to the world. Carl Frampton has Sweet Caroline on before his fights. Well, Murphy, you're looking at me say, thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hang on a second. We were at some Brian, Peters. <laughs> Brian Peters liked to bang out an old uh, Sweet, Caroline. Sweet Caroline, get the crowd going before, sure did. before Bernard knocked out, you know, Sean, Shorefuse Hughes or something like and that. And the like. And, yeah. and, and the like back in the day. So that's been around a while. But anyway, after softening them up with Seven Nation Army, he hit them with the hammer blow of the Kazakh national anthem. So that's the actual anthem there, uh, not the, not as it was played on Saturday night. But you get the idea. Imagine hmm. Triple G standing to attention for that one as he was. Well, you can yeah, I can see quite clearly what everyone is is seeing. It's just those nuclear arms being like paraded in front of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Red Square. 
in front of the uh, under the approving gaze of the uh, the Politburo. <laughs> it's a long way away from Kazakhstan, to be fair. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think you heard the anthem, Ken. Where they were probably launching them from rather than, <laughs> yeah. uh, than uh, parading them around. Michael Buffer didn't help matters when he introduced Triple G. Unbeaten record, fighting out of Kazakhstan, all that kind of stuff. And then he added in, he has knocked out every opponent he has faced for the last eight years. I thought, Michael, that's an unnecessary staff report, Kell Brooks standing there on the other side of the ring. Yeah. You don't, you just, you usually just give the record. You don't take going into detail as to all these guys that he's been smashing up. But uh, Brooke was unfazed, coming up two weights to fight, coming up two weight divisions to fight the best guy in the weight division two weights mm. up, who's also the best fighter in the world, probably, and certainly the most intimidating out there at the moment. An absolute monster. And yet Brooke handled himself well. He's got a lot of, a lot of praise over the last couple of days for... Well, for mixing it, landing some serious shots, managing to some serious looking shots, managing to make Golovkin miss quite a lot of the time. But to be honest, by the fifth round, he was starting to really get bludgeoned. I'm not sure how much effect his big punches were really having on his opponent. So, why do you say he is the most intimidating fighter in the world? Because he stands there, Ken. He's not the greatest. He's not. He doesn't have the greatest head movement you've ever seen. For example, mm-hmm. he's not. He's certainly not Floyd Mayweather when it comes to the defensive skills. Doesn't doesn't spoil, doesn't get out of the way too much. Has doesn't, never had to learn defensive skills. Pretty much. He just kind of walks just walks forward, takes massive punches to the head, and literally just shrugs, la- them, just off shru- shru- shrugs them off, literally shrugs them off, and lands bigger punches of his own. It's quite an intimidating way of fighting. And as Michael Puffer said, again, he's not Eight down every years. year. <laughs> Eight no years, yeah. So Dominic Gingle would have known all this, the coach going into the fight, and uh, the coach, the trainer of... Um, of Kell Brook. So he decides in the fifth round, I'm throwing the towel here. It takes about 10, 15, 20 seconds for the ref to see him waving the towel and trying to call an end to the fight. Eventually the ref does see it, fight's over. Kell Brook's at a loss to explain why his trainer has thrown it in. The fact that he had a fractured eye socket and was starting to get pounded by a man way bigger than him, I think would give you a clue. But the uh, those fans have found their voice again by this stage and they booed the trainer mercilessly as he tried to explain his decision. He had a, he didn't help that he had a completely lost, croaky voice as he's trying to tell them why he did this in the post-fight interview. He could have tried to sing Seven Nation Army. <laughs> just just <laughs> would have immediately killed all Sweet of Caroline them. at that stage, because you want to... Yeah. yeah, Sweet Caroline would have done the job at that stage. But anyway, we're going to talk to... Well, the best man I can think of to talk about any of this and all of this is Andy Lee, because he is planning a return to the ring. He's talked about this... Uh, decided this very recently. Obviously, he's been out since last December, since losing his title to Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, had a bit of time off. I think we kind of got the sense he needed some time off, but he's recharged himself and he wants a world title bout, possibly against the most intimidating man in boxing, Triple G. So we'll get to all that a little bit later on. Zlatan was at the fight, Ken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd recovered. Looked like he'd recovered well. Actually, he was on while Sweet Caroline was being the capanto and while the crowd were dancing up and down to Sweet Caroline. He looked slightly bemused. <laughs> <laughs> he likes a bit of combat sports, that time. Yeah. Where he's not kicking his teammates in the head and, you know. That was a joke that time. Ken. It's just a little bit of joking Play- slash bullying. Playful kicking. Um, yeah, he's, he's a big uh, MMA fan. We've got a lot of Man United, Man City chat in the football podcast, but you were kicking yourself afterwards. You left out a key detail. Well, just the fact that apparently after the match, Alex Ferguson uh, sought out Pep Guardiola and gave him a big hug, which I thought was an interesting move. Uh, it's not as though Ferguson is the ma- is really the manager. Mm. He's not the manager anymore. Um, but he is, you know, Manchester United's Alex Ferguson. Uh, and I just thought it was quite... <laughs> it was... Uh, Where did this happen? In one of the corridors at Old Trafford, apparently. Oh. Uh, so, you know, congratulations. Here's a big hug for you. And I don't know if he maybe invited him for a glass of wine. Evidently, that didn't happen. There was a lot of talk about the wine, which clearly was never going to be shared. Mm. Um, maybe uh, maybe it was uh, Ferguson had the idea of inviting Guardiola along. But just the, just the affectionate greeting to the man who... Well, just, of the Man City manager. Yeah. That's your issue. Well, if you were Jose Mourinho, what, what would you think of that? I'm trying to get a little rivalry going here, Alex, you know. If you wouldn't mind, this isn't, yeah. exact, this isn't exactly helping. Remember, this is the man who was annoyed with Iker Casillas calling up Xavi and saying, hey, you know, let's not let all this nonsense come between us. We're still friends. And, uh, and it was like, we're not friends. Mm. We're not friends. We're never going to be friends anymore. So forget about all that. Um, I don't know. Ferguson was always looking for the seal of approval, though, wasn't he, from the... 
from great European football minds, and I include that even the journalists. Yeah, I think Daniel Taylor talked about this in his book when he uh, had followed Ferguson around do, doing press conferences for a couple of years. It was a good insight into that. Ferguson behaved totally differently to Europe to the yeah. Champions League journalists. Oh, what a great question! Yes, interesting. Four four two have gone for yes, <laughs> whereas he you know be banning all the British ones. The super charming Alex Ferguson, <laughs> yeah. the sage of England. Uh, you know, he, he was like everyone's, everyone in Europe's kindly, wise grandfather, you know, dispensing Werther's original suppress. I assume part of that was, was that he was, he was doing that to annoy the regular, the British ones who were following him around. All ah, the time. he wouldn't be that. Famous. Ah, he definitely was doing that. I mean, and he's not the only manager to do that. I mean, Jurgen Klopp was accused of doing that when he was a Dortmund manager, especially when things started getting a bit snippy between him and the regulars, uh, the, the sort of the sunny positivity of yesteryear was, was but a memory. Uh, but then when, when they were playing in the Champions League and, you know, everybody was coming along saying, wow, you know, you are amazing. People from Spain and England and Italy, whatever, saying, you've, you've really put together an amazing team here, Mr. Klopp. Uh, he used to absolutely love that, lap that stuff up. They're like, you know, in Germany, they're like, wow, this is like the way he used to be three years ago with us. So... Um, yeah, it's it's something we're all prone to. I suppose. Wouldn't you be on? It's the thrill of the new international you know? acclaim. If like the Berlin Academy of of sound and motion pictures or whatever was to come along and give you a golden award for best broadcaster, would you? Come on, you tell me you wouldn't be pretty pleased with that. I, first, I, first of all, can I just say I've had a lot of respect for the German radio industry over the years, <laughs> a particular interest of mine. And, yeah, uh, of course, great great Irish figures in the history of that uh, radio industry. <laughs> The, the links right. are... Uh, it's a fair point. Yeah. We're going to have Kilkenny All-Ireland winning manager, Camogie manager and Downey on the show today. Murph, you were thoroughly impressed with, with them yesterday? Yeah. Uh, and of course, I mean, we're talking about one of the all-time great uh, Camogie players uh, in Anne herself. So she was captain in 1994. Kilkenny went 22 years without winning a hurling-related title. On That's mm-hmm. a pretty long famine. Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination. The famine is over, roared Henry Sheffield on Twitter yesterday. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, 22 years is actually a pretty long time. And uh, bizarrely enough, Kilkenny hadn't won uh, a Camogie title until Anne Downey's playing career started. So she's had a hand in every single one of right. Kilkenny's uh, Camogie All-Ireland titles. And uh, on the back of quite a bit of underage success in the last couple of years, they're hoping that this will be the first of uh, the first of quite a few. But it was actually a really good game. And uh, Kilkenny looked really well coached in that they moved the ball really really swiftly uh, ball to the uh, uh, to the player in the most space used it economically the goal that won the game was an absolutely brilliant example of that so yeah she'll be uh, on the show in a, in a couple of minutes yeah really frustrated the, the I was going to say the better team not the better team but frustrated the more vaunted mm. opponent, much more vaunted opponents uh, they had a package in the Sunday game last night showing quite a few instances where Cork were, start, were getting frustrated, were losing their discipline a little bit. Obviously, they had a player sent off and, and, and all the rest of it. And it just seemed like they, uh, it's just a, just, just a classic case of one team being thoroughly prepared. and um, Yeah, just being better in every area. Yep. All right, first of all, plenty of developments over the weekend in the Pat Hickey story. A judge ruled on Friday that Hickey and Kevin Mallon will stand trial. On, uh, on charges of money laundering, ticket touting and illicit marketing. Hickey released a statement yesterday. He says, I have just received formal notification from the Brazilian authorities of the charges laid against me. I intend to face all the charges and to fight each and every one of them. That's just a snippet. We might get back to the rest of that statement a little bit later. But Tom Hennigan is in Rio to talk about these developments. Tom, what sort of timescale is there, first of all, on this trial? We're hearing it could take uh, as long as 18 months. Well, Brazil's justice system is is difficult um, to understand at the best of times. And it's also a a very slow system. Uh, And I'm not joking. There are sometimes you'll pick up a morning newspaper and they'll have um, details of cases relating to incidences dating back to the 1990s that are still only um, finally being resolved. Mm-hmm. So uh, it depends on what really uh, happens, I think, in the next few weeks. Um, I was speaking with the public prosecutor who brought the charges, and he said that a lot of the of the, the timing will depend on the attitude of the defence. Um, he reckons that if Hickey and Malin get their passports back and are able to leave Brazil, as is a real possibility, that their defence then could string out the case as um, as much as possible. 
And he made a comparison with another case that he is uh, prosecuting involving uh, ticket touting at the World Cup in 2014. And that's now well over two years over. And yet that case is only now coming towards its end. And he blames the defense. And when you go in and look at the at the at the case um, online, you can see that the defense keep filing motions to try and slow down um, it as much as possible. If uh, Hickey and Mallon don't get their passports back, then their defense might be much more eager to get uh, the thing resolved as quickly as possible. So it depends a lot on whether they're in or out of the country. I think the, the speed of, of the case going through the courts. Yeah, and that seems to be the next big question, doesn't it? That Whether or not they do get their passports back. Do, do you have any sense about the likelihood of that happening or not, or even when we'll find that out? Well, when um, uh, Malin's lawyer is pretty confident that he will get um, uh, his passport back, um, Hickey's defence um, have refused really to, to talk um, to the press, so we don't know what their thinking is. But when you talk to the police, they go, look, uh, you know, this is a matter for the courts. It's not up to us. Um, and when you talk to the to the prosecutor, Marcus Kack, he says, look, it's a, you know, these are foreign nationals. We are aware that the justice system here can be quite slow. It's a nonviolent crime. Um, so there is a good chance that the judge will say, you know, there's no point in, in these foreign nationals hanging around potentially for years waiting for a verdict. Therefore, um, there does seem to be an acceptance on the on the on the prosecution side that a judge could return their passports. And that could happen um, now that the that a, a court has taken the case in. Uh, the lawyers for Hickey Manning can start petitioning for various things. And I, I would assume one of the first things they'll do is is petition for them to get their passports back. There was a line, Tom, in um, Hickey's statement on Sunday. He said, for clarity, I'm not under house arrest, as like with so many things with this case, has been misreported by the media. Where has he been in the last couple of weeks? What what, what, did, what is his daily <laughs> schedule, do we know? Um, he was released under um, uh, a writ of habeas corpus that his lawyers got at the end of August. Um, he has been staying in an apartment, in a, 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 a seafront apartment in Leblanc, one of the nicest neighborhoods in Brazil. Um, and he is not under house arrest. But what did happen was the judge who um, granted him habeas corpus didn't impose any conditions on that. It was just that his passport be retained so that he remain in Brazil while the investigation continued. But in the judge's ruling at the end of last week, taking um, on the case, um, accepting the charges, uh, that judge, uh, she decided that all the defendants uh, charged so far, that is Hickey and nine others, um, should be subjected to the same conditions. And the conditions she decided should be those that a federal court imposed on Kevin Mallon as the um, justification for his release under habeas corpus. And that was that he could not attend um, the anything connected with the Paralympic Games, that he had to be home by 10 p.m. every night, and that I think it's every 20 days he has to show up um, at the court to prove that he's still around. Those conditions were what were imposed on, on Mr. Hickey at the end of last week. It doesn't amount to house arrest, but it does mean he's now under a 10 p.m. curfew. This is obviously a huge story at the time in Brazil. It certainly seemed to be the case. Have the local media, do people in Brazil still care about it? Or was it just something that exploded during the Olympics and, and they largely have left it since then? No, there, there still is um, uh, quite a lot of interest in Brazil. It's not as intense, obviously, as it was during the Games where, uh, you're right, um, the ticket touting story and the American swimmers, they were the kind of the two big um, non-sporting stories during the Games. Um, but there is still interest uh, in the local media. We saw that at the press conference last week. There were a lot of Brazilian media at that. But the the focus has slightly changed. So last week... While the Irish media at the press conference were, were quite eager to find out, um, you know, what the case was uh, that police thought they had against uh, Martin Burke, the, the OCI sports director, the local media were really only interested in the Thomas Bach, uh, the uh, IOC's president's situation and um, the fact that the police say that they want to speak to him. So there is still local interest in the story, but it's not necessarily as focused on Patrick Hickey's situation as on the implications that the investigation has for Thomas Bach of the IOC, who, breaking with um, several decades of tradition, failed to show up for the start of the Paralympic Games. And a lot of people were speculating that that was because he didn't want to... um, 
have a situation where he was in Brazil and then the police said, um, will you come on down to the station for a bit of questioning? Um, so that was the speculation about why he didn't show up. Yeah, I think they had a, I think Bax people at the time said that he had to attend a funeral or something like this and that was why he was delayed. But I, I do I do recall quite vividly the IOC's reaction to the Hickey story. Thomas Bach himself said, well, he's entitled to a presumption of innocence, but that was about as far as he went, I, I felt, in defending him in any way. The IOC weren't exactly rushing to the, the defence of this guy, which was interesting given that it seems like Hickey and Bach had... Uh, up until this point, have had a pretty good relationship, judging by the exchanges between them. Uh, uh, Hickey managing to apparently get these extra tickets for various events around the Olympics. Um, absolutely, uh, those texts show that they that they did have a close relationship. And um, during the Olympics, uh, there were obviously a lot of journalists um, from Europe who covered the IOC full time for for various media organisations and talking with them. They said that um, Hickey was on the executive committee of the IOC, was definitely identified as someone who was close to back and was sort of back's point man for relations with um, the uh, former Eastern Bloc and Russia. And we saw that as well in some of the text messages and um, would seem to hint at that. Um, but the IOC, uh, I have found a, a very difficult organization to, to deal with and um, to try and get answers out of, even to quite simple procedural questions about how the you know so-called Olympic family operates. Um, and the police as well have been quite pointed in um, distinguishing between the uh, cooperation they got from the Rio organizing committee uh, here uh, in Brazil and the IOC, uh, which they said has really um, not been that cooperative at all, considering that one of their um, top executives was arrested uh, during their showcase event. Um, but the IOC have said, look, the police never got in touch with us uh, looking for any information. And, and you know, this is a police investigation. So we feel it's better not to say anything uh, about matters that um, could be part of a, of a judicial process. So it's somewhere in between the two. Um, I understand that the police will formally contact the IOC this week, saying that they would seek some information from Thomas Bach. But I think a lot of this is slightly um, being overcooked. There's no indication um, or um, hint from the police that Thomas Bach is is a suspect or anything at all in this investigation. What the police have said, which is um, quite straightforward, is that, look, names came up in an investigation that we were carrying out. Thomas Bach was one of them. We just wanted to question them about it. And and they say, we're just trying to understand the OCI's ticketing arrangements. And we've seen a text from Mr. Hickey to Mr. Bach asking for more tickets. And we just want to ask him about that. So, um, you know, there's no there's no hint at the moment of any um, wrongdoing at all involving the IOC or Thomas Bach. But there is also a certain um, discrepancy between the IOC saying we have nothing to do with ticketing. And then Patrick Hickey, a veteran of six summer games, a member of the executive committee of the IOC, uh, you know, sending a text to the president saying, look, I want more tickets. If he didn't think uh, that he'd get an answer, I'm sure he wouldn't have sent that uh, text. And it does kind of show that um, while the IOC says that it has no involvement in tickets, that senior members of the IOC felt that Mr. Bach could help them uh, when they were looking for more. All right, Tom, we'll see. Great stuff as always. We'll see what happens with the passports maybe in the next little while. In the meantime, thanks very much. Cheers, Tom. I might as well give you the Pat Hickey statement in full that he released yesterday. I've just received formal notification from the Brazilian authorities of the changes of the charges laid against me. For clarity, I'm not under house arrest, as like with so many things with this case has been misreported by the media. I intend to face all the charges and to fight each and every one of them. I'm completely innocent of all such charges and I will also vigorously defend my good name and character that I've spent my lifetime building through voluntary service for numerous sporting bodies. This has been a life-changing experience for me, my wife, my four children, my five grandchildren, and my priority is to recover my health and see my family as soon as possible. I've been very heartened and humbled by the outpouring of support, letters, text, Texts and emails from the thousands of people in Ireland and from the international sporting world. I think the main point of surprise in that email when everybody read it was the thousands of people sending messages of support. Well, it's worldwide. You know, the uh, it's the Olympic family. I mean, he's not just an Irishman. He's also a member of the Olympic family. So maybe mm-hmm. there are quite a few people in the Olympic family also concerned uh, as to uh, Patty. You have well-being. to really support somebody, even if... if as even if you have thousands of supporters on a particular topic, yeah, not all of them necessarily send messages. Bother are supportive enough to send messages. So 
it just must be a lot of people out there really batting for Pat Hickey if thousands of them have made the effort to get in touch I mean, with him. I mean, that's the 1% really when you think mm. about it, you know. Andy Lee has made it into studio. Andy, has the form? Not too bad, uh, Owen. Thanks. Sorry. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's an early mistake. We'll see what goes from here. And we, this might never get played out in the podcast if Andy keeps <laughs> making these, uh, these mistakes. Were you impressed with Kel Brook's effort on Saturday? Um, I was impressed with him, yeah. Like, I was impressed with him. He, he showed plenty of courage, plenty of bottle. Um, but I wasn't, like... With the outcome, I was pretty much thought that was way. I thought, I thought whenever Glovkin wants to step up and take this guy out, he had it within him, you know? Even though Brooke was landing what looked like mm. pretty massive shots, particularly a couple of uppercuts. Yeah. He, uh, when, he, when he was offensive, you know, he kind of pushed Glovkin back on his heels, but I don't think he ever hurt Glovkin. And, it, like, you know, Glovkin's a, a strange... Well, he, he says all the time, and I don't know if it's true or not, that, you know, he lets the guys land punches to make it a big drama show, you know, as he says. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I just... I just uh, he, 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 he was good ver- offensively, Kelbrook. But, you know, to beat Golovkin, or even just to hang with him, you have to have the full, you know, the yeah. full package. Like, not just an offense, you have to defense. And, but it's insane that it's so hard it's so hard to see a way to beat him it's interesting that because uh, Golovkin after the fight was I thought hilariously dismissive of Brooke mm. he'd been respectful of him in the build but he said look he, he hit me with those punches but come on he's not a middleweight he's, yeah. he's, just, he's just not a middleweight yeah. you know, that, this is finished for him uh, so he, he certainly was saying that those shots didn't hurt Brooke said the opposite obviously he said mm. look I could see it I could see it in his legs I could see he was wobbled a couple of times no I thought I saw a little sh- uh, like a little reaction in his legs at one stage but I think, you know, Klopkin's comments uh, give you an insight that he's approached to the fight that he was kind of thinking, no, oh, this is just a welterweight. I'm just going to beat him. I'm going to walk him down and beat him. And that's how he more or less took the fight that, okay, when he wanted to step it up and press him, especially, you know, you could see it in the first round, the first exchange when he pinned him against the ropes, he rocked Brooke. And then he kind of eased off. Then he kind of went and picked it up again. And Brooke had a good third round, you know, so, so good third round. But then Klopkin picked it up fourth and fifth to stride him, you know. Yeah. You could see the difference. I think... Maybe they told him in the corner, hey, "Come on, don't let this little guy do this. You know, don't let him. Have, don't give him any chance." And in the fourth round, he came out like a different animal. You're a lot less f- sort of full of praise as a lot of the pundits in the UK are for Brooke. You know, they've been talking about this, uh, like almost like he's a martyr kind of thing. <laughs> that he's, he's, it was kind of how it was marketed yeah. as well, which was a little odd. I I thought, you know, it it kind of well, was it a little dangerous? Yeah, to be going like in, f- into with a monster like that. I don't know if uh, well he broke his eye socket, <laughs> so he's paid some physical cost. Like um, it was dangerous, yeah. I think it was dangerous, and I'd, Sky they do a great job of promoting fights, you know, and um, to just whip the people up into a frenzy. And they have all, you know, not to be critical, but they have all their 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 homeboys, you know, like uh, Froch, Johnny Nelson, and they're all given the come. They're all towing the party line where. Brooks in with a chance. He's got, you know, yeah. look. And even even like with the tail of the tape, I saw that Gavin Casey did a good piece at balls.ie that, you know, he was just talking about the build-up to the fight and the hype. This was before the fight and how Sky had kind of skewed the, the measurements and the figures just to make them more even and make them, you know, seem like they're actually, Brooks actually in this, he's got a fight, you know. But, but like, there was no way Brooks was going to win that fight, you know. So you had no issue with... His trainer throwing in the towel? No, actually, I was watching the fight live and I thought, like, I actually, 10 seconds before he stepped up, stepped up onto the apron, I said, just out loud, Connor should stop this, you know? And he got up and I thought it was the perfect timing, yeah. The only thing he didn't do was get the rest attention. That, that was weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, was yeah. Kind of, he was kind of waving the yeah, towel for people yeah. didn't see he's, he's in his corner they waving the towel. They say don't throw the towel in because anyone you, you from... You can fall over it or is no, it, no? anyone from the audience can grab a towel and throw it in oh, the right, ring yeah, and then yeah. the referee stop in a fight when somebody has an advantage. Right. So um, he did the correct thing just so he didn't get the referee's attention. Maybe, yeah. Why wasn't why wouldn't the ref stop it in a situation like that? I don't know. Like, it's... Uh, I, like, you know... We saw the cr- the crowd were booing when 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 the corner stopped the fight, and he almost had to apologise to the crowd. Um, Dominic Ingle, uh, Brooks' coach. Yeah, it was strange. But like, yeah. we've all saw what's happened this year already with um, with Chris Eubank Jr. and that fight that he had with Nick Blackwell, and uh, like he was put in, into a reduced coma. So boxing, and especially when you're stepping up, like you have to consider what he did. Step up two ways to fight, not just a normal middleweight, but the the best middleweight in the world. So I think it was a great call. Maybe did the did the ref ref it as 
you know, as as in he's a middleweight, so yeah, give him a middleweight probably, yeah, chance. Yeah. And, and then the trainer, yeah. but obviously the trainer knows mm. knows better than that. Every like every fighter wants to go out on the shield. You know, I don't. I think I know myself. I, I don't want the con to stop it. Although that's their job to protect. You. I like you're never going to agree with it. And even, even there was some discord you could see between Brooke and Dominic Ingle after the fight, where Brooke was asked um, something about the stoppage. Do you think yeah. it was right or? Did, you know, do you agree? And he said, "Well, you let, why did you stop?" He said, "Well, you're going to have to ask my coach why he stopped." And kind of just, kind of shrugged his shoulders and looked away. And then Dominic Ingle kind of turned to the crowd and said, "You know, I had to. Do what, what do you want?" Ingle, from me, and Ingle's know? voice was gone. He was trying yeah. to explain himself, and the yeah. crowd are booing him. And he's turning to the crowd as in, "What, what do you want here?" This yeah. guy was in trouble. I, I thought it was a good stoppage. And I should say, yeah, Bro- Brooke has come out since actually, and he said, uh, "You know, it's, it, he hasn't come out and said, oh, 'I'm delighted he stopped it or anything,' but he has." sort of defended Ingle mm. since then which is nice to see because I did kind of get that sense yeah. <laughs> Jeez, the trainer's been thrown in the thrown in the deep end uh, yeah, but what did he's like what, the, what did he's like most of those guys have been in that arena they're not boxing fans they haven't got a clue about boxing they're just they're actually Sky Sport fans and they just come they're event fans and they come along to these things and you know they get have their beers and they get hyped and they shout come on you know and it's it's kind of tribal and it's patriotic or whatever it is but uh they're not, but they haven't got a clue what's going on in the ring in, in any, you know, scientific manner. They're just seeing two guys and just want all they want is blood to see somebody get knocked out or, mm. or like, I don't know, it's not a, they, they don't have the boxing interest at heart. Well, that was because Brooke wasn't knocked down. He was still standing. He was actually still calling Golovkin on. He was still doing all the macho stuff. So it wasn't mm. like this guy who looks like he's completely out on his feet. Maybe that's what they, they were reacting to, that they thought he was still able to go, mm. even though he hadn't thrown a punch in quite a while. Yeah. Like, well, I think what you got to look for, and if you're a Kahneman or a referee, you got to look at the two guys. Golovkin was coming on strong, had took no real punishment. Although he was hit, he looked, there was not a mark on him. And he was laying it on heavy, you know, and Brooke was wavering. He was getting rocked. His head was rocking back every time. And that's what you have to take into account. Is there any way that he can come back from this, Brooke? There was no way he could have came back. Or there was no way that he was going to win the fight. Or He'd hit Glockin with his best punches and Glockin just walked through them. Yeah, and uh, almost everybody in the world watching Andy is looking going, Jesus... The, the thoughts of going into the ring with this guy mm. would fill me with dread. <laughs> yeah. You're one of the very, you're one of the very few out there who might actually be doing this because you've decided you're you're going to st- you're, you're going to look for another big fight. Yeah, I, I would like to map out a way to to get in there to fight in Glockin. I know it's probably too much to step into the ring with him now. Not not for me, but from a promotional point of view, I don't think it would be they could really sell the fight. But um, if I can get a fight with one of the other champions, maybe Danny Jacobs beat him then it would lead to a Golovkin fight I've agreed to fight Golovkin in the past signed contracts to fight yeah, him it was before. A, a couple of years ago I think yeah, even this year earlier yeah. on when um, right. the Chris Eubank thing was looking like it wasn't going to happen which it didn't they got in touch with Adam and said would Andy be available to fight him and uh, I said yeah I'll fight him um, the thing is like he's, so, so, he's probably so, an all time great he's right. 23 consecutive knockouts and title defences like he's, he's had that's his 17th or 18th title defence you know so he's 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 a phenomenal fighter, um, but the fact that he's there um, in the division where I am is almost like a challenge or an affront. Like you will have to, get, I want to get in with him. I want to see what he has and what he got. And like I said before, there's nobody any else out there with the physical attributes or the style that could give him ask the questions of him that I can. You know, how would you ask those questions if you're fighting him tomorrow? If I'm fighting him tomorrow, I'm a tall southpaw who can punch hard. Maybe it's hard. I've got more one one punch knockouts than he has. His punches come from like his knockouts come from an accumulation of punches. I'd ha- you have to punch with him. You have to fight fire with fire. You have to get his respect. That's one thing Kelbrook didn't do is that he had no after he tasted his biggest shots. He said, "Okay, there's no fear. For, there's nothing to fear here. I'm walking through you, and I'm I'm going to take two of your shots to land one of mine." You have to get that respect from him. You have to make him respect the distance. Know that if he's coming in to distance, yes, he's going to pay a price. And you have to punch with him at the same time. You can't. Most guys just tuck up and try to defend, but he's he's too strong for that. So it would be, it would be a shootout. It, yeah, it, it, I think so. It yeah. Well, for the first few rounds. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be like well, like it's a massive ask. He's he's by far the best fighter, probably the best, one of the best fighters in the world, top two or three in the world across all weights. So. Uh, so you're taking you're you're going to take the easy way, right? No, if, like if the, I was called in the month and said, yeah. "Do you want to fight Glockin by the end of the year?" I'd say, "Yeah." Well, what happened last time? What you said, um, I said, well, 
Brook, I suppose, like I said before, Brook's a much more sellable fight. When he was dealing with Eddie Hearn to, 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 for Chris Eubank, um, my name was, they asked me, I said, yeah, I'd be available. But Eddie Hearn, it was, they're like Sky got creative, as they do, and they put this fight together with a welterweight champion. Right. And it saw them show it did great numbers in pay-per-view. And like that, that wouldn't happen with me versus Kelbrook. It's not in England anyway. It would have to be in America. Uh, you against Golovkin, yeah. yeah. The, so you're talking about uh, Danny Jacobs, who won again at the weekend. He's a WBA champion. He's Brooklyn-based. So this, mm. if it was to happen, would be a big American, big New York fight. Yeah, that's, it makes it like that's, that's the, the plan I would like to see you know, unfold. That's, I've been in touch with Luda Bella. I've been in touch with Adam Booth and Damian McCann and and they're working towards that. Um, the, when we were actually in May, there was a chance the fight could have been made um, back then. Um, but Ludabella sus- kind of suspect that they didn't want the fight, um, that they want to go with Sergio Mora, who's less, threat, you know, less of a threat to them. So, look, we'll see what happens. He's going to have to fight somebody. He's a, he's a belt holder. And I'm still a top ten middleweight, and in New York I carry you know some weight with the Irish crowd there. So we'll see what happens. When did you decide in your Because it was just before Christmas last year, the Saunders fight. When did you decide that you do want to get back in? You do want one or two more massive fights? I've been tossing it up like all year, really, um, thinking will I come back? Will I not come back? Um, I always felt that I would come back. You know, not, not that I come back. I just had to take some time off. I've, last three years, especially, I've been pro over ten years now. The last three years have been very intense, and um, they took the toll on me. And by the time I got in the ring with Billy Joe Saunders, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to talk about boxing. I didn't want to look at boxing. I just didn't want like I'd had enough of it, you know. And I was really burnt out, especially with the long protracted fight that that was cancelled, you know, twice and rescheduled. So um, I took a break, which I needed. And um, I hung out with you guys a lot. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've been feeling that I want to get back, especially watching these fights. It just gives you such an excitement, you know, and I, I want to get back in there. I've been training all the time right. just for myself, ticking over. Um, I'm due to go back to England next week and I'll resume camp with Adam Booth and hopefully by then or within the next couple of weeks I'll have news of a fight. You're not concerned at all that, you know, say you're fighting, say it is Jacobs and say you get him in the next few months that you're going to be a year out of the ring and coming straight back in with this massive championship fight. Yeah, well, sometimes a break is, is, is good, you know. I've got, I don't need, like, I've got so much experience now and I've kind of experienced everything there is in the ring, so I I'd, I'd, I'd just feel I need, I'd like the big fight or a fight that leads to a big fight for myself. Um, At this stage of your career, maybe there the... the that's the only thing yeah. that can really yeah. get your excitement and, going again. Yeah, and it's such a tough toll, like the training and and all the stress that comes with fighting. That to do it for an average fight, it wouldn't wouldn't be worth my while. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll uh, sounds like we might be seeing a bit less of you, Andy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but a trip to New York sounds pretty good yeah, as well. We're, so we're looking forward to the if there is an announcement in the next few weeks. It's great to talk to you always. Thanks, thanks very minute. much. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 unanswered punches, 15 of them really hurt. All the Irish, everyone in the house are hurting. I heard all the cheers. And he got me through that fight, Matt Carball was giving me a nightmare. And I found it really hard in there. But anyway, listen, I'm a middleweight fighter. I'm a champion now. I want to defend my belt in Ireland. And I'll fight the best in the world. Congratulations, Andy. On the Irish, get in! Right, left hand. Oh, oh my God! Oh, There's that Andy Lee right hook. There's that Charlie Mike right hook. He caught him jumping. He's a right hook. Kenny stops a fight. You know why? Too many unanswered punches. Andy Lee is a brand new WBO middleweight champion of the world. How about that for all of my friends watching in Ireland? The winner by TKO victory, and now the WBO middleweight champion of the world, Irish Andy Lee. All right, a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty clear picture, I think, painted by Andy there of how that Kell Brook fight came about through yeah. some... Creativity and the, uh, as Andy says, he was ready once the Eubank fight fell through. He was ready to fight Golovkin. Uh, we don't know; others might have been as well. But 
They're kind Kale of Brook, seemed... Kale Brook was going to sell more in the UK, and they made Kale Brook a bigger man, and he uh, physically uh, than he usually is, and got him to fight. It's kind of one of these situations where you know you can imagine Hearn in the in the room saying, "Right, well, I'm not going. I'm not going to leave without." You know, something getting signed here. So let's just uh has anyone got a list of my fight who who do you who do you like here? Who what can we Who's do? Who's the best these? British fighter? Who's undefeated? Well Kel Brook is, but isn't yeah. he a lot smaller? No, doesn't matter. Get him in there. Yeah. Get him in we'll, there. We'll get something sorted there. So that's uh, quite yeah. interesting. It is it is a pretty interesting <clears throat> way of, of doing things. But I mean, obviously it's just another indication of how these fights actually get made, as opposed to, you know, right, okay, who should who like who who are the people in this division that Gennady Golovkin should be fighting? It's more who are the two promoters in the room uh, trying to make this decision and kind of take it from there. Yeah, and as Andy is saying, I think for him to fight Golovkin wherever that might take place, he would have to become a world champion again. Would have to probably beat Danny Jacobs, as he says. So that's obviously a big ask to go taking a world title off Danny Jacobs and then going to fight. Uh, Golovkin, but I suppose it's one step at a time. There, it sounds to me he that he he said something will be announced the next couple of weeks. He thinks so. Hmm. I don't know whether that's Jacobs. I mean, that'd be that'd be an amazing piece of news if that's the case. We'll uh, we'll see what happens over the next little while on that one. Ken, the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd say it to you, folks. I'll say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? Well, Owen, it was a big weekend of football. A lot of exciting stuff. Derby's all over the place. Derby's every day. Derby's all day. And we'll talk a bit about the one in Manchester. We talked, I should say. We talked a bit about the one in Glasgow. We talked a bit about Mario Balotelli. Uh, deconstructing the um, the rules by which we've all agreed to live for some reason. Yeah, and he's uh, shown us a new path. He's just got a fresh perspective on things, a refreshingly fresh perspective. Mm. You also took the form of Pep Guardiola for a considerable portion of the uh, Pep Guardiola trying to explain his thinking to a couple of. Um, I don't know what you call them. Joe, Joe Six Packs. Joe Six Packs. I mean, it was a, it was a bigger reach for some of us than for others. I found how... As an, in an acting capacity. I but. actually started to find how difficult it would be. Because, I mean, after after beginning with a couple of questions, which I thought, you know, were leading you nicely along the garden path I want you to lead you along, I then realised that in order to justify my selection of Claudio Bravo, I had to embark on a dense, wordy explanation. <laughs> and I could see your eyes glazing over but I wasn't sure how else I need to go away and think about how to boil that down to some easily digestible sorry, chunks man. of consumable <laughs> sorry, sorry. just 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 little dro- chunks of content just drop them <laughs> something about Bravo yeah oh yeah he was terrible I, 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 yeah, I agree wholeheartedly Kid. we're joined bloody awful he was on the line by Kilkenny's All-Ireland winning Camogie manager and Downey and that that must sound pretty good I guess it surely does. Just to be honest, like, um, absolutely a great win yesterday. Delighted for the girls and delighted that we could get over the line eventually. Uh, you say eventually. It was 1994. It's been uh, well documented. If anyone has been been uh, following your, your achievements this weekend, that you were the captain that day and your manager now. So a very, a very special day for everybody. It was. Every, uh, for everyone involved. And, you know, we have a good few people in the backroom staff. We have 11 and all the girls that are on the panel. And uh, we had a panel of 31. Kate MacDonald had to emigrate to Dubai. So... Um, we were thinking about her yesterday, but, you know, for Kilkenny and Kilkenny to do the double yesterday, it was brilliant, brilliant for Camogie and Kilkenny. Uh, back in January, the Kilkenny people referred to you guys as the dream team management yourself. Your sister Angela is also involved there. A couple of All-Ireland winning hurlers. A uh, pretty strong setup you have. We did, you know, Paddy Mullally and, and uh, Connor, Connor Phelan and... Uh, Lee Meegan, four of us, I suppose, got together. Paddy and Connor and myself having worked with WIT, um, you know, we knew what was involved to, you know, to win and we were prepared to, you know, take a chance with the girls and the girls were prepared to row in behind us. So, you know, everything went to plan and as we grew during the year, we added to the backroom staff um, so many people that, you know, were willing to put up their hand and, you know, come in, come on board and, and give us a hand and, you know, any far them would never have got over that line yesterday. Uh, you're also the the first woman to coach a team in an Ireland final since 2009, I believe, when funnily enough, both coaches were women, you with Kilkenny and Denise Cronin with Cork. 
Are you hopeful that your success will inspire more camogie players to get involved in, in coaching their counties? Yeah, well, you know, Stella Sinish brought uh, Wexford to great glory back um, the last few years, so I'd say you can add Stella to that list. Um, to get involved, you have to have a lot of time in your hands, and it is all time-consuming, and when you, when you get involved, you're in, involved, and, you know, you, you have to have the backing of your workplace, and I certainly had that from Donny really been this year. You know, I sat down with the boss, and we spoke about it before I took the job, and you know, I told him what would be involved, probably having to leave the office and phone calls and, and that, and they were willing to back me. So you have to have all those things in place and you certainly have to have time before you um, you commit to that level. But I would hope, you know, that it would, you know, spur um, a lot of women on, you know, whatever sport it is, to get involved. And, you know, it's all about the backroom um, team that you have. And, you know, I had a great team this year and it wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Uh, Corker, like Kilkenny and the hurling, really in a lot of ways, they're they're never beaten, and it's, it must be a huge monkey off your back to have to have actually be, to have beaten them in a final as well, and in the fashion that you did to be so dominant and, and to close it out as, as they sort of came back at you in the, in the final minutes. You know, I mean, Cork have been brilliant champions, and you couldn't you know take it away from Marina Buckley and and uh, Gemma O'Connor and uh, Breach Corkery, you know, the Mackie twins, you know, the pace and the experience that they have brought. And, you know, they were champions for so many years. But to beat Cork, you know, it is special, to be quite honest. Even in my own playing days, um, the games against Cork were special. And, you know, I just said, you know, bring your A game on the day. And every single one of them, you know, to a player, you know, stood up to the plate yesterday and, you know, to get a, a masterful performance. Brilliant. Well, listen, enjoy the celebrations, Anne, and well done again. Thank you. Thanks, thanks very much, John. Thanks. Bye. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city... Knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. If there was, uh, we mentioned earlier on how Cork, uh, Kilkenny knocked Cork out of their stride somewhat. And there was actually an unsavoury incident before the game. And by unsavoury, I mean pretty funny incident I always find these pre-match handshakes uh, yeah. quite uh, it was really funny actually, but they've been brought into GA this season no it's, 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 it's been, been they've been going for uh, a couple of years oh, just and the second really it happened attention. the second it was being brought in it was immediately well you can't no this isn't this isn't going to go down well at all and it's actually it's passed off completely without a hitch until uh, until yesterday mm-hmm. when for whatever reason Hannah Looney from Cork and Colette Dormer from Kilkenny there was a little push. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that Hannah Looney looked to be more the protagonist. More. Oh yeah, well, H- Hannah Looney. H- Hannah Looney. She's the one doing the. Sh- the she was. Shaking she was back. shaking, and she was shaking. She just had a. I'm going to describe it as a very firm grip of that hand, Murph. Yeah. It seemed like it was almost pushing, pushing the Kenny player's hand back quite a bit. That yeah. seemed to me to be the initial push, and then Kenny player says, oh, "Screw this!" Shoves her. And it was actually it was quite funny because both of them went on to have pretty good games so I mean it, well, it didn't really seem like either of them were all that bothered by it no I think it's I, uh, I think it's pretty great for the old mindset before a game well yeah I mean I, mean, I don't know bit. should we be condoning this now either nah. um, quite frankly I mean it is the friendship handshake that's literally what it's called I think that's what it's called at least it is the friendship handshake well done to Kilkenny well done also to Stan the man Vavrinka uh, Stan the man Vavrinka yes indeed US Open champion uh, beat Novak Djokovic in four sets um, the world number one, of course, had to call in the trainer several times <laughs> during the final set. It, it happens quite a bit like this. It's almost as if he wants to deflect from the attention from the fact that he's getting beaten by calling in the trainer constantly. Yeah, or def- or sometimes to buy himself some time, knowing he still has a chance of winning, and that you know a little bit of a break in the opponent's momentum might be the worst thing mm. in the world. Uh, do you want to know who is mad as hell and isn't, and isn't going to take it anymore? On who? Patrick McEnroe. John McEnroe. Well, close enough. Uh, <laughs> so McEnroe commentating in the ESPN. Uh, it's Patrick McEnroe. Okay, mm-hmm. a very fine commentator in his own right, mm. and tennis player, legendary US writer, uh, um, Davis Cup captain, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, he was. He got very upset commentating in the ESPN box. Uh, 
he uh, that was another example of a complete abuse of the rules. Blasted McEnroe. It's up to the officials to do something about it, and they just don't have the guts to do it. Uh, so this it was after a break of serve as well. And come on, you know. It's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Sorry, man, Djokovic said to Vavrinka halfway through. This medical... No. Like, come on. <laughs> Ugh. You're just a crying big baby. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That is, that, that, and I actually don't have anything more to say on the back. Yeah, just don't say sorry. That's, that's, that's the Thierry Henry sitting beside Richard Dunn on the field yeah. in the Stade de France. It's just do what you got to do. Whatever. Justify whatever way. But don't. Don't be so patronising. Anyone want a few more bars? Can fancy a few more bars of the Kazakh anthem to present? Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. Listen to the football podcast and follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Thanks, Murph. Thank you all. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Well, this is intimidating. I'm intimidating. I'm excited. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 